Well, it's a privilege to be able to go into the Word of God uh, with you this evening. If you have your Bibles, please go to Psalm 65. We'll be looking at just one verse, really just one half of a verse in this very wonderful psalm. I'll be speaking on the subject of prayer. I think it's fitting as we are at our prayer meeting that we seek to focus our minds on the subject of prayer. Let's read Psalm 65. I'm going to read from verse 1. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Sion, and unto thee the vow shall be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even thy holy temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's briefly pray. Father, we thank you for this hour, this moment. And we confess our need for you. Please, Lord, enlighten your word to our hearts and minds now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, any of you who are preachers, who preach, or who uh, prepare Bible studies, know it can be a, a great burden. When you're thinking how to take the word and apply it, to all the needs present in a congregation like this, even in a meeting like this. There are many here who, maybe some were saved a year ago, maybe have been saved for 10 years. Some have walked with the Lord for a long time, a short time. You're all at different places in your Christian journey. And my burden is, by God's help, that this, this sermon would help all of you, no matter where you are. And it's helpful because when we speak on prayer, when we speak on prayer, I think I could ask any of you, how is your prayer? And you would say to me, Lord, teach me to pray. I want to pray. I desire to pray. But prayer seems to elude me. It seems to always be a step away from me. There's one thing that we can all agree on. And the further you have walked with God, the more you will be able to say it genuinely. Lord, help me to pray. Teach me to pray. Prayer. Prayer. If there's anywhere we fail in our church and in our individual lives, it's this subject of prayer, isn't it? If there's anywhere that we slack, it's in our praying. We can easily set it to the side and our prayer closets become empty and withered and dusty, but yet we can continue in our form. We can continue to come to church. We can continue to serve vigorously. We can continue to be at every meeting, even read our Bibles, even go through a form of prayer. But to pray with consistency, with fervency, with confidence. Not many of us would set ourselves forth as an example of this. I know I wouldn't. I'm speaking to you on prayer this evening, so very painfully aware 
that my praying is not how it ought to be. My praying is not how it ought to be. I'm preaching this sermon to you in these, in these few minutes, but I've been seeking to preach this to myself all day, all week. I've been seeking to grow in this reality of prayer. To know the Lord in this way, to have power with God, to be able to be like Jacob and wrestle with him and overcome. My prayer is, Lord, teach me to pray. Now, with this in mind, our, our present weakness, our present need in prayer that I, I turn to our text and, and just there in verse two, those, those first, even just half of the verse, those, fir those first few words will be our focus. Oh, thou that hearest prayer. Oh, thou that hearest prayer. I desire from this text to strengthen your confidence in prayer. You know, if, uh, if you like to read Christian biographies, I like to, or you know certain saints who seem to have just an unusual prayer life, you can read a biography and see how these men prayed, or even men and women in the scriptures, and you look at their prayer life and you think, wow, I wish I could pray like that. I wish my prayer life was something like that. We can become discouraged when we think of those who have prayed much and been used of God much, but it's a relief to know, it's a relief to me, and it should be a relief to you that there is no secret formula that's going to transform your prayer life. Often we think that, you know, I just need to, to get zapped with the, the prayer bug or, you know, I just need a specific sermon or something that all of a sudden my prayer life is going to be changed. It's not good right now, but the day will come when my prayer life will be amazing. There is no secret formula. Well, anyway, not in this text or any other text of the scripture. And I do not for a moment think that these few words, these few moments that we are thinking on prayer is going to zap you and you're going to walk out of here and be the prayer warrior and so on. But what I do know, what I do hope is that this text will give you the foundation on what, in, in which to build your prayer life. It will give you a foundation in which to build your prayer life. The words are simple. Oh, thou that hearest prayer. Yet it is transformative when we grasp it. You see, what this text does is it changes our view. I hope it changes our attitude to how we think about prayer. I believe it will help to expel our doubt and coldness and lethargy. And it will make you see prayer as a mighty privilege, as a wonderful thing, as a gift, as the highest privilege given to the children of men to pray. I hope it will help you to see that prayer is not a duty Oh no, my hour of prayer, my alarm has come, I need to go pray. No, I hope it will help you to go to your prayer closet skipping, ready, ready to pray. It's a wonderful thing. You know, if you do something you like, I like to play football when I'm going to play a football match, I'm excited, I want to be there, I'm going to enjoy it. You don't have to force me. How do we go to prayer? The Lord Jesus was more willing to go to the cross than some of us are willing to go to the throne of grace. That's not right, my friends. That's not right. 
We need our view of prayer. I need my view of prayer change. And this text will give the foundation the support to do that. It will make you see that prayer is a real and vital force able to achieve wonderful results. I hope it brings warmth and confidence to you as you go into your closet to pray. Oh, thou that hearest prayer. Just a moment, just think of what great things have been done by prayer. Just think what wonderful things have been done by prayer. What obstacles it's removed, what mountains it has leveled. Through prayer, nations have been shaped and formed. Empires have been built up or tore down. Governments have been established or diminished. Through prayer, wars have been brought to cease. Peace has been brought in through prayer. The very elemental powers of creation have been overruled. Winds are subject to prayer. The rain is subject to prayer. Prayer is not confined by time or location. A prayer said a hundred years ago may still be producing fruit today. Prayer on one side of the globe can affect another side of the globe and you never see it. Not on this side of eternity anyway. Through prayer, the cosmic powers of darkness and evil have been routed evil subdued, righteousness exalted through prayer. How many lives have been changed through prayer? How many souls have been saved? Some of you sitting in this very room in your seats are the effect of prayer. Someone prayed for you and God answered that prayer and you are here now. Prayer, my friends, is a wonderful thing. I would say, I would submit that there is no person living on the earth who has not been affected by prayer some way or another. History is history. The history that we have is a history that has been created and fashioned around the prayers of the saints. There is no force, no nothing in the world that has produced so much effect than prayer. Do you hear what I'm saying? Prayer is a glorious, wonderful thing, and it has achieved the most glorious results. What thing is this prayer that God has given into the hands of his children? The ability, the ability to bind things and to loose things on heaven and in earth. You know, it was said of uh, John Knox, a Scottish reformer, that the queen... The Queen of Scotland said that she was more scared, more fearful. She trembled at the prayers of John Knox than all the armies of England. Why? Because she knew when this man prays, things happen. When he prays, things happen. I want to be like that. We want to be like that. We want to be a church that when we pray, things do happen. But my friends, this text, this truth has to be seared, imprinted on our hearts and minds. We have to believe that God hears prayer. That's the foundation of all praying, that he hears. That he hears. We need to be confident in that. So how can we get confident? Well, look, first notice that prayer is so joined to God, that you could say it's, it's part of his name, it's in his name. 
But look, look what the psalmist says. Oh, thou that hearest prayer. The psalmist describes God in this way as the prayer hearing God. That's who he is. He addresses him as the God who hears prayer. I like that name, the prayer hearing God. That's one way you can say it. But there is a peculiar glory in this name, in the fact that God hears prayer. God glories in the fact that he hears prayer. It's as if he says in this text, know me by this name. Yes, you know me as Father. You know me as Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. You know me as the Lord, our righteousness. But know me by this name, the prayer hearing God. Oh, thou that hearest prayer, call me by this name. You could go, for, go so far to say for him not to be, hear prayer would be to deny his deity to deny who he is. And we know God cannot deny himself. It takes deity alone to have this name, the prayer here in God. It takes infinite knowledge. It takes infinite power and wisdom to have this name. To be God is to be the prayer here in God. And such a glory is reserved for God. In Psalm 50 verse 15, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Prayer glorifies God. God hearing and answering prayer glorifies him. You know, as you read and you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, what, what was the challenge that the prophets always gave to the false gods? The gods that people had made with their hands and worshipped. The prophets would say, you, you worship these false gods, but, but cry to them, pray to them. They cannot hear you. They cannot deliver you. Only the living God can hear and answer prayer. An idol can do no such thing. Remember the story of um, the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And Elijah wants to show the people of God that Jehovah is the true living God. That the God of Israel is God. And what did he do? He says, well, let's pray. Let's have a prayer meeting. And the God that answers, well, we will know that he is the living God, the true God. And you know the story, the prophets of Baal spend a whole day seeking to, crying on their, their, their God Baal and, and whipping themselves and torturing themselves. And what was their silence? No response. Their God did not respond. And what did Elijah do? He prays. And God answers marvelously. Fire comes down upon the altar. And you, you friends should know the story. But what's amazing about that, and we get fixated on the, on the fire falling from heaven. And yeah, that's a glorious answer. That's a wonderful thing. But the glorious thing here is that God heard this man, Elijah, a man with passions like us, a man just like us. And God heard him and sent the answer. No other has this name, O thou that hearest prayer. This is a function, an office that God reserves for himself. We know that the angels are mighty in wisdom and power, but angels cannot hear prayer as God can. The devil may be very powerful, but the devil cannot have this name. He does not hear prayer. Only the God of scripture is the prayer hearing God. 
He alone has the wisdom and power, love, grace to answer, to hear and answer prayer. You know, there's a point of confusion for some when they think about prayer. For me, it's just, you know, I, I, I glory in it. I, I worship for the bit. But, you know, often you will hear, well, if God is sovereign, I don't know if you've heard it, if God is sovereign, that is, is, if he controls everything, if he has power and authority over everything, and if God has decreed everything from the, the beginning to the end, that God has, has decided the course of the comet as well as the molecule floating before your face. If God is over everything in this way, well, why pray? We can't change the decrees of God. We can't turn him. We can't, you know, if he's already planned it out, why pray? You know, I, I, I make no attempt to seek to, to resolve that answer. Scripture doesn't seek to resolve that answer. Scripture tells us simply, we have not because we ask not. But it also tells us that God is sovereign and that he decrees, that he knows, not only knows, but has ordained the end from the beginning. And when you just sit with that truth there, both those tensions, as it were, the tension of both realities, you worship. Who alone, who else could do that? Though he has decreed all things, he says to me, pray and it will be done. God used the very prayers of his people as part of his decrees and a part of exercising his sovereignty. Now, this reality, prayer is a monument to his wisdom and his power. And so my point is simple, that fundamentally how we understand God is that he is a prayer here in God. He has revealed himself to be so. But another point that we see in these few verses is that prayer is appointed by God. Prayer is ordained by God. Now, prayer is not man's intervention. No man thought it, no man made it up himself. Now, it's true, all men pray. All men pray. Even when I was an unbeliever, I prayed. When things got tough, when things were bad, when my life was crashing down, I prayed. All people pray. You can go to the four corners of the earth, any jungle tribe you go to, they will have a system of prayer. Prayer is, it's, it's, it's a part of who we are, isn't it? Prayer is so closely bound to our institution of human beings, us being made in the image of God. We're constantly drawing, we're longing to go back to be with him. You could say that God made man with the desire to be heard, with the desire to speak with him, with the desire to commune with him. We long to be heard, don't we? You know, some of the... Uh, psychiatrists and counsellors, they say, and you yourself probably know, but the, the best thing you could do for someone to help them is simply to listen. To simply to listen. I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're in a close relationship or married, you, you hear that, I hear that quite often. Raya, I don't want you to fix this. I just want you to listen to me. You know, there's so much good you do to someone by simply listening to them. Allowing them to offload their hearts and their burdens and showing a, a concern and a care that you want to know and you desire and care about them. 
just listening to someone. We have that desire to be heard. We have that need to offload our hearts into someone's ear. Don't we? And if so much good can be caused, well, look, it's one thing to speak to it to a finite, sinful flesh about your problems. It's one thing to do that, but it's another thing to speak to the eternal God, to know that you speak into his ear. If, if, if good is done by people speaking to people and someone listening, how much good is done when we seek God, when we pray and offload our hearts into his ears? The God who searches our hearts and knows our minds. Therefore, it's no surprise that we find in Scripture but we're told in scripture, God commands us in scripture to pour out our hearts, to pray without ceasing, to seek him day and night, to take every care, every anxiety to him, to know that his ear is open in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. He's always available, always readily accessed by prayer. It's no surprise that Jesus, the man of prayer, the only true prayer warrior, the only one who truly prayed, how often he exhorts his disciples to pray. In Luke 18, he tells them, pray always, pray always, do not lose heart. He also said, my house, the church shall be called a house of prayer. And even in the end of this verse here, we have the exhortation saying that all flesh, all flesh shall come. Unto thee, all flesh shall come. What's it saying? Essentially, that God has appointed prayer and all people, all flesh can have confidence in prayer, in the reality of prayer. It is a sure thing because it is appointed by God's design. move on to another point and I'd like to, to bring out from this text prayer's certainty prayer is a certain thing now notice what it says it does not say oh thou that may hear prayer maybe hear prayer it doesn't say thou that will hear prayer or has heard prayer or shall hear prayer but it says thou that hearest prayer what's it saying essentially that prayer is the believer's present possession that God hears is the believer's present possession regardless of where you be what trial what circumstance what difficulty you can know with certainty if you are a believer that his ear is always open to you prayer is a certain thing just think Nothing in us, nothing in us diminishes God's ability to hear us, to hear you. Nothing in you diminishes God's ability to hear your prayers. You may say, well, uh, my sins, I, I sin and, and it's, it's though a cloud comes over my soul and I, and I fear that God no longer hears me. I fear that I've been turned out and turned away and cut off. Well, David in Psalm 31 says, in my alarm, in my alarm, I thought I was cut off from God, but he heard my cry for mercy. 
They're saying, remember, be encouraged that Christ was cut off for you, for your sins. He cried out, I am forsaken so that you may never be. Therefore, his ear, regardless, even when we are overloaded with our sin, look what the psalmist says in verse 3, iniquities prevail against me. They're everywhere. They've overcome me. I've sought to fall and fallen and I'm undone. What will you do, Lord? Well, you will purge them away. You will wash them away. Let not your sins discourage you from going to him. But you may say to me, well, my, my, my prayers are weak. I'm so weak. I feel that at times. I'm so weak at praying. I can do anything else but pray. Anything. I'm so weak at prayer. Well, Romans 8 tells you, tells me that the spirit helps our weaknesses. We do not know how to pray as we ought. Prayer is singled out as our, our weakness in that verse. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit intercedes, the spirit helps. Well, you may say to me, I, I lack words. I come to pray and I, and I don't have the words. I just, you know, I want to speak and I can't. It's difficult. How do I pray? Well, you don't necessarily need words. Later on in that verse in Romans 8, it says that the spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be uttered. And he who knows the mind of the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. My friends, there is nothing in us that diminishes God, God's ability to hear us, his willingness. And there is nothing in him. There's nothing in God. There's nothing in God that should diminish our confidence in prayer. There's nothing in him that should diminish our confidence in prayer. That is why knowing his attributes is so essential. Knowing who God is, his attributes is so essential because it encourages you to pray. You're familiar with Isaiah 40. And there the people of God, they have a complaint and they say, God, you do not hear us. You do not see us. And my judgment is passed over by my God. That's paraphrasing, paraphrasing basically what they said. But essentially they said, God, where are you? You do not see. We pray. Where are you? The justice due to me has been passed over. And what do we have in Isaiah 40? What does God do through the prophet? He reminds them of who he is, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary. His, understandable, his understanding is inscrutable. He gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. He is the eternal God and he reminds his people of who he is. God in all of his attributes is infinite, eternal. He is the infinite God. You understand that? Just think, just say that, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful, but not all-knowing. He has nearly all knowledge, but not all knowledge. Well, though God may be powerful to, to hear your prayers and to help you, he may not know exactly how to do it. He would lack the understanding. Or just say God has all knowledge, but lacks all power. Well, he may know your need. He may know what to do, but he simply may not have the will, the power to execute it. Just say God has both. Just say God is all-knowing and all-powerful, yet in his 
present. He's not omnipresent. He's, he's not in all places at all times. Well, though he knows, though he is powerful, he may not be able to perform his will because he, he's not there. There is a place where God is not. And the thing you may be praying about is a place where God may not be. You may not be able to do anything. And just say, God has all these three. God is eternal in power and knowledge and in presence. Yet he is not infinite in love. He has not love. Well, though he may have all these things, he may simply not be willing to help. Everything in God, his attributes, who he is, should encourage us to pray. It should encourage us to pray. It should encourage our confidence in prayer. And if he is finite in any area, if he lacks in any area, if he is not eternal in any area, well, our confidence in prayer would cease. There's no point praying to a God who is limited. You cannot have confidence that he's going to help. You cannot have confidence that he hears and that he can do the very thing that you ask. But our God is not of such. Our God is the eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he can do all things. He says in Scripture, is anything too hard for me? Nothing is too hard for him. He made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. There's nothing in God that diminishes our confidence in prayer. Everything ought to give us confidence. And so, my friends, let these words... Settle into your heart, O thou that hearest prayer. You know, if this text is not settled in our hearts, if we're not at a place where we have confidence that God hears us when we pray, well, we we won't pray. We won't pray with any real fervency. We won't pray with any real delight. We will not know anything of the sweet hour of prayer. What a privilege to, to carry everything to Jesus. Prayer will simply be a duty, something we avoid something that weighs us down. To have doubt in prayer is a torturous thing. Our minds do not engage in things. They do not like to engage in things that bring no reward. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've... Um, have you heard of the story that, of the man who was, was, uh, was eternally condemned to roll in a, a stone up a hill? for it to come back down again. So, okay, <clears throat> well I did and, and I looked into it and, it, and basically it's, it's a Greek mythology. It's a man called Sisyphus, basically, yeah? You don't really need to know it, but it, it, it makes an important point. And, and this man, he had cheated death and basically he was condemned by one of the, the, the myth, mythological gods in, in, the, in the Greek world. And um, his condemnation is that forever he will roll a boulder up a hill for it to roll back down again. And then he has to do it again and again and again and again forever. That sounds absolutely horrible. You know, we find anything, as human beings, as who we are, we find anything that if we, if we do something without hope of a reward, hope without effect, we, we hate doing it. Imagine I gave you a shovel and I said, dig a hole, but every time you take a scoop out, <laughs> more mud appears. I mean, for a minute, you might be all right, but imagine doing that for a long time. But that's how we feel about prayer. I know it is for me at times. That's why we leave off our prayer closets. That's why we leave off praying, because we do not have the confidence that what we're doing actually brings results, actually is effective, actually makes a difference. 
And therefore, prayer to you, if you do not have that confidence, this confidence, prayer to you will be like that. It will be a duty that must be performed, not a delight that should be joyfully entered into. Prayer is real business. It is real and it actually produces and changes things. I know it's a very simple thing. I said it would be a very simple message, but to grasp it is transformative. Prayer is real business. In Psalm 116, what does the psalmist say in that first verse? He says, I love the Lord. Why? Because he hears me. Go in with that confidence in prayer. Well, it will warm your heart. Do you know times? Do you know times? Do you know hours when you've been in prayer and your heart has been warm? You've known that God is hearing you. And you're able to say, I love you, Lord. You hear my voice. I call upon you and you answer. But there are some who would interject. I, I hear it and there's a, there's a natural opposition. I, I think it's part of our experience as Christians. Maybe there's some things that you are even praying for now and you have not seen the answer. And I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, that you would say, well, if God hears my prayers, if, if this is true, if this is real, I've prayed for things and they've not come to pass. I've prayed for things and it seemed that there was no answer. So God hears and does not answer. Now there's numerous reasons given in scripture why it seems that God may not answer prayer or may be silent and there's no way we could look at them. But one thing, and Seth mentioned it in his prayer earlier, do not forget that promise, that word, that in Ephesians 3, that God is able to do more than we ask, ask or think, ask. You know, don't limit God to your finite, limited understanding. There are a million, a trillion, infinite ways in which God may answer prayer. And we simply do not know what he is doing. He has the big picture. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. Let us not be hasty to draw harsh conclusions on God. He is able to do more than we ask or think. Just think through the, the narratives and the men and women of scripture who prayed. Jacob. Prayed to be blessed, didn't he? What answer did he get? Yes, he was blessed. But not only was he blessed, his name was changed, Israel. And not only that, but through his seed would come the blessing. The blessing to all nations, to all peoples. He prayed to be blessed. And look what God done with that prayer. More than he could ask or think. Think of Solomon. He prays for wisdom. And God makes him the most wise man to have ever lived on the face of the earth apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave him a kingdom where gold was as numerous as pennies. Think of Nehemiah. I love this. Think of Nehemiah in the end of his book. In that last verse, he prays and he says, God, remember me. How does God answer that? Well, he puts his book, his witness, his writing in the scriptures as a memorial to be read by millions and millions and millions to be studied by so many over the ages. You think Nehemiah thought that would happen? In answer to his prayer, remember me. Think of Hannah, who prayed for a son. And what was she given? A prophet, a mighty prophet, Samuel. 
Think of Elizabeth and Zachariah who had prayed for years and years to, to bear a child. And what were they given? John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. The man to prepare the way more than they could ask or think, my friends. Think of Cornelius, the Gentile, in the book of Acts. And the angel appears to him and said, God has heard your prayers and seen your arm, seen your giving. Now, do you think that in his praying, he was asking that he would be the first Gentile family to experience the, the Pentecost outpouring of the Spirit? Of course not. He weren't praying anything about that. But look how his prayers was answered. He would be the man to be remembered as the first Gentile, the first Gentiles to have the Spirit poured out upon them. He does more than we ask or think. And so let us pray and not lose heart. Let us pray and pray and keep praying because God is working. God is at work. You know, th there's also a, a necessity that I, I feel that I, I need to say also, and that, and that is um, that this promise, this truth of prayer is for the child of God. This confidence is for the child of God, is for you who are in the covenant of grace. But to the unbeliever, to the one who sits outside of Christ tonight, to the one who is a stranger to God and his covenant, there is no such promise that God will hear your prayer. In fact, I see contrary in scripture. In Proverbs 28 and verse 9, it says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, now listen to this, even his prayer is an abomination. An abomination. An abomination. The prayer of the unbeliever is an abomination unto God. That's what it's saying. I want to be clear with you. I want to shoot straight and tell you what the scriptures say. My friend, when calamity, if you're an unbeliever, when calamity hits you and the pans of death grip your life and your life that has been built upon sand comes crashing down when the storms and the winds blow upon it and in your trouble and in your trial, you begin to call upon God, you will find no answer. You will find no relief, unbeliever. You will find nothing to take hold of, no refuge, no help. Though you multiply your cries, God will be silent and you will be shut out and you will say, why is his arm too short? And Isaiah 59 verse 2 should ring in your ears in that moment. It says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. He will not hear. Yet not all is gloom and despair. There is a prayer that the unbeliever, that the vilest offender, that the greatest sinner can pray and it will be heard. And it won't be an abomination. It will be a sweet aroma to God. And that's the prayer of a broken and contrite heart. It's the prayer of the repentant sinner going back to his father saying, Father, I have sinned. It's the prayer of the publican, have mercy on me, the sinner, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. So if you go to God now, the time to be found, God can be found now, the time to pray is now.
And if you go to him now and pray, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, crying out to him for mercy, returning to him, you have the promise. He will hear you. He will answer that prayer. That prayer will be heard. But until you do that, please do not presume that God will hear your prayers favorably. Do not presume that God will hear you in the day of your trouble, which will come, and the day of your calamity. Unbeliever, I don't know who you are, but I say to you, don't put this off. If God is drawing you, respond. Respond if God is drawing you. Scripture says that he will not strive with flesh forever. The time for salvation is now and the door is closing and you do not know when it will be shut and forever sealed. So now is the time to get right with him. Now is the time to pray, call upon God while he may be found. And so I would just encourage us, church, let us be a praying church. If we would be known for anything, let us be known as a people who pray. Let us be known as a people who pray and seek God, who have confidence in a prayer hearing God. All the, all the success of the church is here. Conversions rise and fall with our praying. The world revives or dies with our praying. The forces of evil advance or retreat as we pray or choose not to. Therefore, let us pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for your, your word, Lord. We thank you for... We thank you that you are the prayer-hearing God. We may come through Jesus Christ and have confidence. Take your word. Bless it to us, Lord. And help us. Help us to grow in prayer. I pray this for myself and for all those present, all those hearing. Give us lives that are marked by prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.